live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I love those days when there's so many good things that I've got to think about where to start. Normally, the topic off the top of the program just jumps out at you. It's a given. I had to think about this one, but I'm going to start here. So there were some major scuds that were dodged in the association yesterday, which means there are some major exhales in order this morning. Looking at you, Minnesota T-Dogs. I shouldn't be too harsh. I think that's the only bet that I won all weekend. Them, of all people. Anyway, you can all take a deep breath because you did not choke away game four and end your season and get swept by giving up 12 unanswered points in the final three minutes to yet again completely gag away another double-digit lead. How ugly would that have been? I mean, the T-Dogs did absolutely their last part. Did that. They did their best to do that. They did allow 12 straight points. They did puke all over themselves. Again. But they pulled it out in OT. So... Congrats, T-Dogs. Congratulations. Nuclear warhead barely avoided. Barely. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's why you lost the T-Dogs. you imagine if they let that get away? And is there anybody anywhere who didn't think they were going to let that get away? When they were in the process of letting that get away? They avoided a scud. But then they're only the T-Wolves, right? So how bad could it be? I could say the exact same thing for one of my all-time favorite dudes. One Wardell Stephen Curry. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Wardell Stephen. Hey, Jim Rome. Hey, Wardell Stephen. Hey, Jim Rome. What up, Steph? Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. In case you forgot, I wanted to remind you of what the NBA is. Man's Man's game. game. I would never forget that. Listen, you know that I'm not breaking out a full government Unless I see something amazingly impressive or something that I've not seen before. And the latter would apply here because I have never, ever seen Wardell Stephen Curry make a mistake like the one he made in that situation. This dude very nearly triggered the end, the downfall of the golden era of Golden State Hoops with a Chris Webber moment. Could have been a total disaster. Jungle Tourette's. Of all things, I never thought that I would see from Steph was him losing track of timeouts in the final minute of a playoff game that had to be won. There was a must win. I mean, that's got to be right near the top of the list. I would have never, ever, ever expected that. Nobody's perfect, but I would never, ever expect that guy to make that mistake. Now, I do understand the confusion with losing that last timeout by losing a challenge. But still, I can't believe that happened. But hey, happens to us all, I guess. It happens. It happens to us all. I mean, if it could happen to Steph, it could happen to anybody. But as bad as that blunder was, and it was bad, the Kings still had to step up and capitalize. And thanks to an ice-cold Darren Fox, they damn near did. And of course, in the end, it wound up coming down to a former member of the Warriors. And how badly do you think Harrison Barnes wanted that? Probably more than anybody anywhere wants anything. And he had a good look too, didn't he? A former member of the Warriors with a game-winning look. 
a potential dynasty dagger. And I'm not going to lie, when he let it go, I thought there was a really good chance that was going to end really well for him and really horribly for the Dubs. Barnes to trigger. Fox into the backcourt. Hunting Curry. He's got Curry on the switch. Fox over to Barnes for the lead. And that's it. The Warriors survive. I mean, Harrison Barnes, of all dudes, had that dynasty dagger in his hand. And my dude had a pretty good look now. In fact, I'd say he had a really good look. And you know he wanted that dagger as badly as anybody ever wanted anything. Knock down that shot. Carve their heart right out of their chest. Show it to them. And then go all Cal in Vegas, RIP, and make them eat it. Hell yes, he wanted that shot. Even if it's not the shot that they needed. No way you're going to tell that guy. No way you're going to tell that guy. And honestly, I've got no problem with it. It was right there. He just couldn't knock it down. But what a storyline that would have been. And you know he wanted that. Credit the Warriors defense, though. And credit them for forcing somebody. Making somebody other than De'Aaron Fox beat them. Because the way De'Aaron Fox was dealing, he absolutely would have stuck that dagger. He would have if he got the chance. You had to force the ball out of his hands. You could easily make the argument that Fox was, in fact, the best player on the floor yesterday. Do you know why you can make that argument? Because he was the best player on the floor yesterday. This dude is finding another level in the postseason. And as always, he finds another level in the clutch, which is why the Dubs' only choice was to make somebody else, anybody else, beat them. Even if it was Harrison Barnes who wanted to beat them worse than anybody on the floor, they had to make somebody else beat them, as Draymond explained on his podcast after the game. Steph reacted immediately, went and got a contest on Harrison's shot, and Harrison missed. Uh, Harrison was ready to call us every B word and uh, 304 word in the book if he made that shot. As we all know, it was great to see him miss it. Um, but even if he does make that shot in that situation, you have to make someone else beat you. And so we did that, and we were successful with that. Say what you want about Draymond, but extremely well said. He's right. Harrison Barnes was waiting to hit them with every four-letter bomb, 13-letter bomb, whatever bomb he had, had he made that shot. And to Draymond's point, he's so right. You had to make somebody else take that shot. So if Barnes does make that shot and he makes it and they win, then the Dubs can win, lead, or they can live with that because you can't have Fox beat you. And all the four letter words. If he makes that shot, then Golden State, you know, it says, hey, tip your hat. He can have his 13 letter words and his four letter words. He had to make the shot. I mean, that dude was that close to some of the most satisfying revenge ever, ever. Man, Harrison Barnes wanted that. I see him working. I see why he took that shot. Hey, by the way, Draymond, give the guy some credit. And I know he won't get it anywhere else but from me. But that dude did watch game three from home after the stomp heard around the world. He realized, you know what? They look good without me. They played well without me. The spacing was good without me. The defense was good without me. Pretty much everything was good without me. And say what you want about Draymond, but you can't question his IQ or acumen on the floor. 
his judgment, his emotion. I mean, sure. But this is not a dumb guy when it comes to basketball acumen. So he took all that in, and then he went to Steph first, apparently. And then Steve Curran said, you know what? I've got no problem coming off the bench. In fact, I probably should come off the bench. Y'all played really well without me. So why would you mess with that? I'm willing to come off the bench. So for the first time in a playoff game since 2014, Draymond comes off the bench. And then after the game, he explained why he did so. I didn't want to um, come back and just shake things up because I'm back. Like, that's not right. Um, Jordan went out there. He played well. We played well. He earned it. And, you know, our team earned that. You know, you don't – there's a lot of um, – a lot of guys who, you know – I mean, 11 years in, you start to feel a sense of entitlement. You know, like, that spot's yours, and starting is yours. And I, I, I never want to reach that point in my career where I feel entitled to something. Um, those guys don't, don't fare well in the end. He's right. He's right. Say what you will about Draymond, and I get that almost every last one of you has something really negative to say about Draymond, but the guy does win. And he wins for a reason. So I I think that he handled that very well. Even though it got spicy very quickly when he hit the floor. And all I could think is, man, if they bait this guy, if they hook this guy again, look the hell out. But they didn't. They get over. They survive. They advance. And now we've got ourselves a best of three. Now the series goes back to Cowtown. Sacktown. Tied up at two games apiece. I love it. It's one of the rare things that's living up to all the hype. I absolutely love it. Now it's a best of three. And if you think that Mike Brown, hey, by the way, Mike Brown, the only unanimous head coach of the year recipient, which is incredible. If you think that Mike Brown is going to let Sacramento relax for even a second, think again, because he called them out right the hell out right after that game yesterday, and he was not messing around. All of our guys are driving into two, sometimes three guys in transition and begging for a call. And you you can't, you know, we can't continue to do that. And, uh, you know, it's a great learning experience for guys to be able to see because we wasted a ton of possessions in transition, driving and just throwing up some crazy stuff. And, you know, space the floor, stop and spray the ball. And if we miss a wide open three, that is way better than driving and throwing up some crazy stuff. Because at the end of the day, this is what I keep telling our guys. You're not you're going to have to knock these guys out. You can't rely on the referee because if I'm a referee, the shots that we're taking at the rim in transition, I ain't calling neither because you're begging for a foul. How about this, dude? Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? 
because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. Now, I know for a fact he's going to have that conversation with his team. But how about him having that conversation with the world? I respect that. I respect that. They're the defending champs. We're the Sacramento Kings. We haven't been here in a decade and a half. We're good. We're young. We're athletic. However, to be the man, you have to beat the man. And don't be looking for the refs to bail you out. And I've told my guys that. I I love hearing that from him. You have to knock them the hell out. That's the first ever unanimous NBA coach of the year right there. And he's exactly right about not begging for fouls. Knock them the hell out. He's right. The refs are not going to hand it to the Kings and neither are the Dubs. If Sacktown wants to light more beams, they need to stick that dagger all the way in. Yesterday, Harrison Barnes had that dagger in his hands and he dropped it. So the series is living up to all the hype. Now it's the best of three. And it's hard to imagine that it's not going to go seven. I'm looking for all of NoCal to get up in here. Who you got? How do you think it's going to go? Kings v. Dubs has been everything we expected. Even as a SoCal native, and I know you all hate us, but I'm pro-Dubs and I'm pro-Kings. I'm having a hell of a good time watching this. I'm having a hell of a good time watching both sides giving each other the hands. So I've got your platform. So get the hell up in here. Use it. Who you got? How you feeling? Oh, and do me one more thing. Indulge me for one more moment. As you can tell, I'm fascinated by Harrison Barnes having an opportunity to drop that dagger. Man, I I can only imagine what was going through his mind. Because frankly, and I'm not picking a side or blaming anybody, but you know it's personal. You know it's personal between him and them. I'd love to know what was going through his mind as he let that ball fly, thinking it might go down. And if it was going to go down, Harrison must have been like, ah, <laughs> suck on that, bitches. Hey, Bob Myers, maybe you should resign me back in 16. Granted, if you did that, You probably couldn't have signed Kevin Durant and then lost out on two titles, but whatever. It's not about that. It's about me. Who's got egg on their face now, yo? And how's that taste, Steph? Who's got daggers now? Sweet timeout, brah. Way to keep your head, bro. Splash Brothers. More like Diaper Rash Brothers. Hey, (laughs) Hey, Dre. How does my stomp on your collective chest feel? Not good, does it? What's my name? Why don't you talk about that on your podcast? You should rename your podcast the Draymond Green Show the I Cheated Off of Harris Barnes to Double De'Aaron and Harrison Made Me Pay Show. It's my world now. I own you. How you like me now? Tell me how my earth tastes. Clank. Damn.
Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Ben Golliver. Ben, always good to have you on. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great, Jim. We got LeBron James getting kind of punched below the belt. We got uh, Steph Curry doing a Chris Webber moment the other day. We got the Sacramento Kings fans, you know, back in full force. It's just a great time for the NBA these days. You nailed it, Ben. It's so good. You are so right. All of that is so good. And I want to ask you about all those things. Why don't we first talk? Well, first of all, when did blasting guys in the package become in vogue? I must have missed that memo. Why is that happening so often all of a sudden? Well, it's funny. Nobody plays defense during the regular season anymore. It's just kind of jogging around for a couple of months. And then immediately when the playoffs hit, we see this wave of injuries to big-name guys, you know, Giannis, Joel Embiid. And then we also start seeing all these flagrant fouls left and right, whether it's Draymond Green, Dylan Brooks, James Harden, Joel Embiid. I think it's just a sign this this wacky opening week of the NBA postseason that the intensity has ramped up. You know, I don't feel, uh, you know, great for the referees. I think they're being put in a tough spot in a lot of these situations, but it absolutely has kind of dominated the discourse here over the first week of the playoffs. And I was there when uh, LeBron took that shot. I mean, it was all anybody wanted to talk about. And frankly, I think it left the Grizzlies pretty frazzled and they're behind in the series. Now they've got to figure out how to pick themselves up after Dylan Brooks sent this whole thing sideways with his trash talk. And then his flagrant foul. I was going to say, Ben, it's all that anybody wanted to talk about except for the guy who executed the perfect shot to LeBron's package. What do you make of that, Ben? Like, when he said what he said, I actually thought it was great, Ben. As long as he backs it up, he did quite the opposite. Not only did Brooks not back that up, not only did he get himself ejected, but then afterwards, Ben, he tried to turn it on the media and the fans, blaming them, saying they created this entire narrative. What do you make of his reaction and the way he conducted himself? Well, you're seeing straight through him, Jim. I think you're all over it. Um, when Draymond Green talks trash, and he's done that a lot over the years, you can count on him being there to deliver it and to make good on his words. That's why he's a Hall of Fame-level player, and that's why the Warriors put up with the trash talk in the first place, right? He's the last guy that they're really worried about coming through in a big moment. I really feel like Dylan Brooks has been writing some checks in this series that his teammates have to cash, and they clearly were not ready to do that in Game 3 when they come out and they get down practically 30 points in the first quarter, and they just get completely run off the court in L.A. He's missing shots left and right. LeBron James is scoring, not at will, but pretty consistently early in that game, and the Lakers have taken control of this series, and he really is not a major factor there. So all of his talk winds up being a distraction. It winds up making life more difficult for his teammates, and it winds up making life miserable for his coach, Jim. You should see Taylor Jenkins try to talk through some of these press conferences when people ask him about Dylan Brooks or they ask him, why didn't your team show up tonight? Are you guys ready for this big stage? I mean, this guy's got gritted teeth. He could barely put any words out there. I mean, it was like terse two or three word replies to every single question after Gabe three. What an awful spot to be in. Uh, you know, if you're – 
uh, somebody just trying to do your job, trying to take a team to the next level, and Dylan Brooks is just making everything more difficult for you. Extremely well said by you, Ben. Ben Golliver joining us. So, Ben, tell me if you have some of this. I get a lot of this on this show because of the format, but there, there are so many people, and I'm not saying that Draymond Green is perfect far from it, although I'm a fan. I'm not saying that I condone everything he says and does. I don't. But I'm not wearing those goggles whereby I see nothing but hate towards this guy. How about this? Help me with this. I'm getting a lot of, hey, Rome, it was not his decision to come off the bench. Hey, Rome, can't you see what's going on here? Golden State further disciplined Draymond, which to me is utter nonsense. Do you believe this notion that he actually went to the game after he sat at home and said, hey, I got to find Steph. I want to bounce this off Steph. I want to bounce this off Steve Kerr. In short, Ben, do you believe that it was Draymond's decision to come off the bench? And then how did he look to you coming off the bench? Well, look, Golden State's a very effective communications organization, and their message was very clear. This was Draymond's idea. The team had played so well without him in game three. He didn't want to come back and disrupt things. And they're playing a young, fast, and offensive-minded Sacramento team. So they want to have as much firepower on the court uh, you know, as they can. And that means giving Jordan Poole every opportunity he can to have be successful um, in that game four. At the same time, I felt like there needed to be a level of discipline towards Draymond Green because he did let the Warriors down earlier in the series. There was no cause for him to be stomping onto Monta Sabonis. I understand he didn't initiate that. You know, Sabonis was guilty of what some people are calling a dirty play, holding his ankle, preventing him from running down the court. But you can't respond like that when you're in a tough playoff series with a team that absolutely wants to uh, upset you and they're focused on taking you down. The Warriors need Draymond out there, as we saw at the end of Game 4, where he's getting all these crucial stops. You go back to the end of Game 2, they weren't getting any stops because Draymond wasn't on the court so to me, whether or not this was punishment uh, from the Warriors, I think uh, you know a little bit of uh, accountability was important. The NBA obviously leveled that with its suspension, but I think the Warriors need to be thinking in those lines as well because they need Draymond. They can't afford to have him getting more flagrant foul points as his postseason goes forward and potentially risking you know another suspension down the road. They need him on his best behavior, having his maximum impact, and I do think we saw a lot of that in Game Four. So the strategy worked. We're talking to Ben Golver. So, Ben, what about the Knicks? Let me just jump around a little bit. They're a win away from advancing to the second round for the first time in a decade. Man, MSG, Ben, has been absolutely electric. Did you see them handling the Cavs as easily as they have to this point? And can you see Cleveland somehow jumping back in? I didn't see this coming at all. I thought Cleveland, based on their regular season record and having Donovan Mitchell to help them get over the hump, and this year's postseason was going to be an opportunity for them to win this series. Instead, New York has imposed its will throughout the series, really from game one, playing the style, dictating the physicality, and then just getting unbelievable contributions from Jalen Brunson. He's been one of the best players in this entire postseason. He was phenomenal in last year's playoffs for the Dallas Mavericks as well. And I got to say, are the Knicks fans the MVP of the Eastern Conference playoffs? I mean, you know, Boston sleepwalking past Atlanta. Uh, Milwaukee hasn't had Giannis because he's injured. You know, the Sixers swept the uh, Nets, but I'm not sure anybody cared about that series once Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant got traded a couple of months ago. And then you've got Madison Square Garden just teeming with fans uh, everywhere. You go out to the street, you've got all these videos, hundreds of people losing their mind. It's just a great scene for people who love basketball. 
And I think they've been waiting an awful long time for this. Uh, I'm surprised they've been able to put it together so quickly with this group, but they've done it. They're even getting contributions from guys like R.J. Barrett, who uh, you know really struggled this season. Uh, they're one win away, and I think they're going to do it. I don't see any way they're going to collapse here, and I think they could close it out in Cleveland uh, You know, in Game 5. Uh, they, they've had that level of dominance in this series. And, you know, give credit to Donovan Mitchell for being accountable in terms of how poorly he played in game four. He had the right message. You know, he let his guys down. I think that owning it in that situation is very important as they try to develop this young core going forward. But what's even better than that is showing up and uh, making up for it in game five. I think Donovan Mitchell has to have a huge game in game five or they're going home. I think you're right. I think it's great that he owned it the way he did and said, hey, look, this is my team. I'm the leader. I have to do better. I played like bleep. But you're right. Just owning it is only part of it. He has to back it up also. Let me jump back, Ben, really quickly to the West for a minute. Like so much for load management. When the Clippers needed Kawhi Leonard the most, he has not been available (laughs) the last couple of games with that knee sprain. So with them being on the brink of elimination, where does that leave the Clippers overall? I mean, are they back to square one? Absolutely. I think this is a catastrophe, the way this has played out. I don't think that's too strong of a word. They spent all season and really all of the last two years trying to position Kawhi Leonard so that he could play big minutes in this year's playoffs so they could kind of get into that championship chase and really go for it. And even though Paul George got injured about a month ago, they still were feeling good about their chances because Kawhi in game one against the Suns was the best player on the court. He dominated Kevin Durant. You don't see that happen very often in a uh, postseason setting where Kevin Durant's on the wrong end of a a matchup like that. But as we've seen, Kawhi Leonard over the years historically has not been able to handle the big minutes. They tried to load manage it, but as soon as they needed him to play 40-plus minutes, he basically immediately gets injured. Within two games, he's right back on the shelf. There's no clarity about when he's going to return. Personally, I don't think he's going to be coming back Uh, in this postseason and then at that point you're looking ahead you've got Kawhi and Paul George under contract for the next two years both of those guys have not been able to stay healthy when it matters if you go back through the postseason since they joined the Clippers it's crazy the run of luck they've had in 2020 in the bubble Paul George had the mental health issues in 2021 Kawhi Leonard had his knee um, issue that required surgery In 2022, Paul George got COVID, so he wasn't available for the play-in game. And this year, both of them are sidelined. Jim, here's a number for you. Can you believe that the Clippers have agreed to pay Kawhi Leonard and Paul George a combined $484 million from 2019 through 2025 when their contracts are currently up? These guys have committed almost half a billion dollars to two players who haven't been on the court. There's no way you can win anything meaningful if that's your economic outlook with this group. They don't have an easy way to pivot and make trades. I think they're going to have to roll forward with their basic core guys. And I think, unfortunately, that means the Clippers era that they're in right now is going to sort of be one of those where they just never got over the hump. Ben, those numbers are mind-numbing. Those are mind-boggling numbers. And let's not forget, they're <laughs> building a new building, a new arena as well they have to go into. They're going to need somebody to roll into that new crib with. So one last thought, Ben. What about, you mentioned the Celtics. They're a game away from finishing Atlanta. Philadelphia awaits right now. Given the questions about Joel Embiid's knee, how do you see a Philly-Boston second-round matchup? Well, I'll just say for the Celtics, it's the luck of the Irish, Jim. I mean, first of all, they get the Atlanta Hawks instead of the Miami Heat in the first round because of how the play-in worked out. So that means Milwaukee's got to grind through all this stuff with Jimmy Butler and try to put him down and deal with all that. 
Meanwhile, uh, the the Celtics are a perfect matchup for the Hawks. They have so many great guards they could throw at Trey Young. It looks like DeJounte Murray might even uh, potentially get suspended for bumping a ref in the closeout game. So that whole series has just been a breeze. They're going to be coming in healthy, rested into that second-round series. And for the Philadelphia 76ers, I mean, it's the opposite. Joel Embiid uh, diagnosed with a knee sprain, unclear exactly whether he's going to be able to go to start that series. There's been some optimism, but there's also been some uh, comments from Doc Rivers saying an MRI didn't look great on Embiid, which is obviously really scary stuff given what a big part of uh, you know their team he is. Now, historically, over the last few years, Boston has dominated this matchup. They swept them in the playoffs in 2020. I think Embiid is a better, more mature, more uh, all-around type contributor at this stage of his career than he was a few years ago. And obviously, he's got more help with James Harden. But I think the Celtics could win this series in five games if Embiid's not 100%. And I think they should take it in six, uh, even if he is completely good to go and ready to go. They have too much perimeter firepower. They're going to be able to space Philadelphia out. And I think ultimately Boston's depth and their wing talent is going to be what decides this series. I appreciate that analysis. Hey, Ben, not to get greedy, but just to get greedy because you mentioned it. I'm curious on the way out the door. How do you think Atlanta feels about Trey Young right now, generally? Well, look, he's had a couple of nice games here in the postseason, and he did come through in the play. And so at least he's ending this season on a higher note, and he's kind of showing little flashes of what you saw in the playoffs in 2021 where he silenced that Madison Square Garden crowd we were talking about earlier. But there are some real challenges there, Jim. You know, from a size perspective, from a defense perspective, from a ball domination perspective, and just the fact that the fit with DeJounte Murray didn't really work out all that well this season. I mean, it backfired so badly, that trade did, that they changed coaches and changed front offices before the season even ended. That tells you, uh, you know, a deal that didn't, didn't pan out like they expected, right? They thought DeJounte Murray was going to lift them up into probably, the, you know, the second tier of the Eastern Conference. And instead, they've just been stuck in that play and mix and, and really didn't get much results to show from it. Now, I don't know if they're quite ready to be uh, you know, dealing Trey Young quite yet or, or in those kinds of talks this summer, but they do have to think about it because he's an extraordinarily difficult player to build a consistent winner around because of his physical limitations and, and because, frankly, he's not as efficient of a scorer as people think he is. He needs to have better shot selection, and he needs to make more of his uh, three-pointers if he's going to become this uh, you know, heir apparent to a guy like Steph Curry. And that's an unfair comparison, but that's what people hoped for a couple years ago, and he just hasn't developed along that way. If I was Atlanta, I would consider all options this summer. Uh, I would certainly, uh, you know, if somebody wanted to come along and give me, you know, five unprotected first-round picks and, you know, all these pick swaps and the kinds of deals we saw last summer for Rudy Gobert or even that trade for Kevin Durant, I would take that kind of package if I was Atlanta because I would just say, look, we tried to build around Trey. He's a tricky player to build around. Let's go a different direction. Remember, they've got a new front office. They've got a new coach in Quinn Snyder. And sometimes that can lead to a hard pivot for an organization. Glad I asked. Another great conversation. He is an NBA national writer for the Washington Post, co-host of the Greatest of All Talk podcast, author of a very, very good book, Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. Ben Golver, my guest. Ben, great, great job. Appreciate you very much, Ben. Thanks for doing that. Oh, my pleasure, Jim. Take care, man. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. 
And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. So I want to move to the next topic, and then we'll get some phone calls in. But let me ask you this. Has anything ever backfired as quickly and as spectacularly and predictably as Dylan Brooks going full villain Brooks and calling LeBron old and arrogantly announcing that I, quote, poke bears? Listen, yes, I loved it when I heard it. However, is anybody surprised that this is how this went? I mean, it was never going to end well for villain Brooks. I think we all knew this, but damn, did that whole thing blow up in his face in record time. Now, for anybody who missed it or anybody who already forgot, this was villain's heel turn last week after Memphis tied that series up at a game apiece. I don't care. He's old. (laughs) I poke bears. I don't respect no one until they come and give me 40. I mean, no gray area there. No ambiguity there. Quote, I don't care. He's old. Quote, I poke bears. Quote, I don't respect no one till they come and give me 40. 40! I mean, again, I thought that was pretty hilarious. That the goat has to earn Dylan's respect. (laughs) That LeBron's, you know, already totaled like 7 million points. In the NBA, but until he gets 40 on Dylan, none of those other points matter. I mean, the guy couldn't have been more clear. And he wasn't joking either. Could not have been more clear. This dude was looking for 100% of the smoke. He wanted all the attention. He wanted all of the spotlight. He wanted all of the heat. So, of course, he got it. Not only did the Lakers come right out and drop a 35-9 run on them Saturday night to start the game. Brooks then got run right out of the game. For, of all things, a package blast on LeBron. I have to just pause for a second and say that this has by far been the greatest week and a half of package blasts, not only in the association, but in the history of sports. Not only in the history of sports, but in the history of the world. Have you ever seen so many people get blasted in the package? in the last week and a half. And I don't know when blasting the opponent in the junk became a part of every team's playbook. I mean, do they grease board that now every single game? Because I think we've seen more package blasts in the first round than I had my entire life combined while watching and talking about the association. Well, at least in games that did not include the OG of package detonation, CP3. You know what would be nice too? If guys are going way out of the way to blast others in the package, and they are, maybe a little clarification on the rule might be in order as well. Is it a catch? Can't believe how confusing this is. Because it seems like a kick in the stick is okay, but any incidental contact to the stick is an automatic ejection. Look, we all knew that LaFlop was going to sell that package blast from Villain Brooks. We knew this. I just didn't expect him to go all AD with it 
and act like Brooks ran onto the floor with a bazooka and aimed it at him and blasted him in the package with it. But then again, listening to LeBron when it happened, it did sound pretty painful. Again. I'm sure it hurt, but my man looked like Brooks drove a tank through his package. Anyway, you could actually hear villain Brooks reaching in and landing the blow, and then LeBron's reaction. Listen one more time. And then imagine LeBron rolling around the floor, holding his junk, and now you've got the full picture of what happened. Of course LeBron was going to sell it. Of course he was going to play it up. And of course Brooks was not trying to punch the dude in the nuts 15 seconds into the start of the third quarter, but bleep happens. You see, this is why you don't poke the bear or punch the bear in the package, villain. That's why it doesn't pay to rack up 18 techs in a season and get a reputation and then call attention to yourself by openly disrespecting arguably the greatest player who ever lived. So the one thing Villain Brooks had to do, and again, notice when he did it, I wasn't coming for the guy. I liked it. I liked it. But I did say, if you're going to do that, you better back it up. You have to back that smack up. You have to. You can't run your mouth like that and then go 3-for-13 in the following game and then get run right out of that game at the start of the second half. And then, not only did he do all that, but to compound matters and make it so much worse, he got run right at the start of the second half only to go run to the media and cry about it. And that's exactly what he did because, of course... As if the pathetic performance in Game 4 were not pathetic enough in and of itself, Villain hit all of this, or all of us, with this bullcrap yesterday after it happened. I've been dealing with this two years now. It is what it is. The fans can talk whatever they want to. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm going to keep playing my game and get better and better each and every day and as long as my career goes. When you say you've been, doing, you've been dealing with this for the past few years, what is this? What do you mean by that? Right. The media making me a villain, the fans making me a villain, and then that just creates a whole different persona on me. So now you think I intended to hit LeBron James in the nuts. I'm playing basketball, a basketball player. I mean, dude, are you kidding me? That is incredible. I've been dealing with this for two years. And then the reporter says, wait, what? Dealing with what for two years? And he says, the media and its narrative, the fans and their narrative. And then because I've been dealing with this and you've all made me into a villain, y'all think that I hit him in the nuts on purpose. This is the same guy who said this only a couple of days ago. I don't care, he's old. <laughs> I poke bears. I don't respect no one until they come and give me 40. I mean, you got to be kidding me with this, dude. It's the media's fault. It's the fans' fault. It's all of our fault that you're labeled as a villain. What? That's the ultimate 
Barbara Walters what? You 100% did this to yourself, villain. What? You did a heel turn. You went into villain mode. You called out the goat. You called him old. You said that you don't respect anybody unless they give you 40. You couldn't wait to tell everybody that you're a guy who pokes bears. You were looking for all that smoke. You messed around and you found it, but it's our fault? You have nobody. Ed in San Antonio can't believe what a bad take that is. Ed is laughing at how bad your takes are, villain. You have nobody to blame but yourself. Dude, you couldn't wait to get up there and tell everybody you're the guy who pokes bears. But then you poke a bear and then you cry and you complain when that bear wakes up and mauls you. You wanted this smoke, dude. And if you didn't already look pathetic enough for failing to back it up on the court, you look so much worse for crying about it into a microphone and a camera and owning none of it and blaming the rest of us. And then denying that you did it in the first place? We have tape, dude. It's documented. Everybody heard it. Everybody saw it. And you know you loved it when you said it. I even loved it when you said it. But I did qualify it by saying, my man, you had best back that up now. You cannot say those things and then no-show, which is what you did. And then you got yourself ejected. And then you've got the balls to blame it on us. My guy, we didn't poke that bear. We didn't call that bear old. We didn't say that that bear had to put 40 on us before we respected him. We didn't punch that bear in the package. We didn't get thrown out of a game, a critical playoff game. You did all that, Dylan. You did all of that. We did none of that. So you can own all of that. How is any of that bullcrap on us? How is any of that bullcrap any of our fault? Let me help you out with that. It's not, villain. None of it's our fault. And again, don't get it twisted. I had no problem with you taking a run at LeCap. I actually loved it. But again, I did say, if you come at that goat, you best not miss. And you did. Badly. And then you try to blame it all on us? One of the worst looks ever. Dude, you started this fight. You started the fight, and then you abandoned the fight by getting ejected in the midst of that fight. And a blowout. And then own none of it. The media making me a villain. The, the media making me a villain. Me what? A villain. And did the, did the media also get those 18 T's this year? So now you think I intended to hit LeBron James in the nuts. I'm playing basketball, basketball player. So, Villain Brooks, you just lost that awesome gloss, which you had earned, because apparently it's my fault. It's our fault for calling you Villain Brooks. So now you are Victim Brooks. Until further notice. I hope that fixes it. You think I intended to hit LeBron James in the nuts? I don't know whether you intended it or not, but intent doesn't really matter, I think. But then again, I'm not really clear on the rule, right? Like I said, you can kick a guy directly in the stick, and apparently it's not that bad of a thing, but if there's incidental contact with said stick, it's an automatic ejection. 
So I want to say intent doesn't matter, but maybe it does because I don't really understand the rule. But all I know is contact is contact. But this much I do know. Dude, we did not create this narrative. This is not on the media. This is not on the fans. This is not on anybody other than you. You said it. You wanted the smoke. You got it. And it blew up in spectacular fashion. Own that, dude. Don't blame us. And can anybody explain to me how blasting other people in the package became such an epidemic? It's almost like a play now. Let's run the blast the other guy in the package. LeBron is killing us. Somebody blast him in the package. Too much, man. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Pierre McGuire. Pierre, it is so good to have you back. How are you, Pierre? I'm doing fantastic, Jim. It's awesome speaking with you again. It is awesome to have you back. So I could ask you generally how you're feeling about the postseason, but I think I already know the answer to that. Specifically, let me ask you about L.A. Edmonton. Why don't we start right there, Pierre? One of the more intriguing matchups, and it's living up to all the hype. Edmonton erased a 3-0 deficit. They win 5-4 in overtime to tie that series up at two games apiece. How gut-wrenching is that for L.A., and how do you think they respond? Well, I think they'll respond really well. Number one, when you have Anse Kopitar, two-time Stanley Cup winner, and Drew Doughty, two-time Stanley Cup winner, as part of your group, I think anybody that's been through the playoffs understands, Jim, you're always going to have to stare uh, adversity in the eye. And this is a pretty adverse situation. You're up 3 nothing on home ice. Eventually they tie. You go ahead. Then you get a breakaway for Victor Arvidsson, and he doesn't score against Jack Campbell, who didn't even start the game. And eventually, Zach Hyman wins it in overtime for Edmonton. So the veteran experience, I think, Jim of Los Angeles will really help in terms of going up into Edmonton now and trying to overcome uh, that tough loss last night. But I'm still very encouraged for the Kings fans. I really am. I, this is a team that's extremely well coached. And I really admire the veteran leadership of the, of the group. Pierre McGuire joining us. I think that's all fair. I agree with you. What about Edmonton? You know they've got talent. You know they've got some speed. What about the quality of their room? What do you think about what you've seen from them so far? Um, what I'm really impressed with is obviously Leon Dreisaitl and the way he stepped up. Um, I think most people would concede that Connor McDavid is the best player in the National Hockey League. So anytime you watch him, you just marvel at his athleticism and skill set. The question mark I have about Edmonton, I think a lot of pundits did going into this, uh, who would be the better goalie, Stuart Skinner or Jack Campbell? Well, we still haven't seen elite goaltending from Edmonton. That's number one. Number two, going into the playoff, there were serious questions um, about their defense. Now, the one great move Kenny Holland made at the trade deadline, he brought in Matthias Ekholm from Nashville to try to stabilize that defense. They still look a little porous on defense, Jim, and that's why if I'm Los Angeles now, I'm still encouraged because I still see some dents in the in the uh, Edmonton Oilers' armor. And I think if L.A. could take advantage of that early and plant a seed of doubt, that gives them a real chance 
to go up to Edmonton and win game five. Pierre Maguire joining us. Pierre, speaking of goaltending, let me change topics. Not often that you see a goalie draw a game misconduct, but Bruins goalie Linus Olmark was sent off after getting ready to square off against Florida's Matthew Kachuk. Obviously, you never want to lose your goalie, but when your net minder shows that kind of grit and kind of fire, does that fire up the rest of the team? What kind of reaction do you think you get from something like that? Oh, I think the team's unbelievably fired up. Let's remember, they go down to South Florida. They're coming off a loss in Game 2. They win both games in South Florida. They don't have Patrice Bergeron or David Krejci. Um, that's a phenomenal accomplishment, and it speaks to the goaltending of the Bruins, the coaching of the Bruins led by Jim Montgomery, uh, and I think more than anything else, the leadership of uh, Charlie McAvoy and Brad Marchand. And when you look at those two players in particular, McAvoy's never won the Cup. Marchand has. McAvoy's been to the final before they lost a game seven to St. Louis, you know, three years ago. Um, but the truth of the matter, Jim, is I think that really fires teams up. When you see their goaltender stand up to arguably the other team's best player and really a guy known around the league for being a tough guy in Matthew Kachuk. So I thought it was uh, a tremendous sign for the Bruins going forward that they were able to do that. And their goalie stood up to Kachuk. Pierre, it's amazing. Like, I mean, you've been in this thing a long, long time. Can you give me other examples that you remember of a goaltender dropping gloves in a situation that critical against somebody else's tough guy? Like, what would you compare that to? Uh, Ronnie Hextall against Chris Chelios back in the 1980s. I'm sorry sorry to interrupt you. That was so amazing. Tell that story. Oh, that was elite. I mean, it was in the corner. Ronnie was known for playing the puck, and I know Chelly is always a, an angry guy and a, a guy that you'd want on your team, obviously a Hockey Hall of Famer and multiple Stanley Cup winner. But Ronnie had an energy to him, um, you know, a lot like Billy Smith when he was with the great, those great Islanders teams. There was an energy to the way they played the position. Uh, or you think about Patrick Awa and the energy that he had, especially when he was in Colorado. Uh, winning the two cups for uh, the Colorado Avalanche. So there have always been goalies that have had this unbelievable athleticism and also intensity. Um, and that's something that I really respect about the players that play that position. I think exactly. It takes a different breed to stand between those pipes. We know that already. Pierre Maguire joining us. And I think energy is the great word because there's a different, not an energy like you're exploding with energy, but just kind of a vibe and an energy. And Hextall was not afraid to use that stick, was he, Pierre? No, no, no. The stick was his uh, was his ally. It was not uh, something that he was going to give away. He wanted to keep it, and he utilized it very well. Billy Smith was much the same um, when he was playing uh, with the New York Islanders, and you know those were great teams that the Islanders had in the 1980s, and and Billy was a big part of it. But no, Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie and Billy were probably two of the better guys when it came to utilizing their sticks to defend their area, no question. Pierre Maguire joining us. So, Pierre, Bruce Cassidy was let go by the Bruins as yep. head coach in the offseason. He guides Vegas to the best record in the West with the Golden Knights leading the Jets two games to one, heading into game four tonight. Does Vegas look capable of making the kind of run that they made back in 2018 when they got to the cup final in their first season? They do. The question mark's going to be in goal. Uh, Laurent Brossois is not a proven commodity in goal. They've obviously dealt with some injuries there. Jonathan Quick, the former Kings goaltender, is there to help them as well. But I think that will be the question mark for them. They have more than enough offense, especially with Mark Stone coming back. Chandler Stevenson has just done amazing work, and it shows you that insider information sometimes matters a ton and you think about George, George McPhee who's the president of the Vegas Golden Knights 
He's the guy that signed Chandler Stevenson in Washington and then brought him over in one of those real quiet deals when Chandler's made a big difference for them. Their defensive depth is good enough to go on a good run. Their coaching is obviously very good. So I think they do have a chance. The biggest question mark, though, Jim, is going to be how do they play out in goal? That's going to be the biggest question. We are talking to Pierre McGuire for a few more moments. Pierre, I'm really curious where you come out on this. The rhetoric, or wherever you want to call it, is heating up between Toronto and the Lightning. Toronto's head coach, <laughs> Sheldon Keefe, told reporters after the Leafs OT win in Game 3 that the Lightning, Pierre, were, quote, manipulating the officials, end of quote, when physical play led to a fight between Steven Stamkos and Austin Matthews. Keefe wanted that two-man advantage on a power play. He didn't get it. Not surprisingly, Tampa head coach John Cooper did not see things the same way. Where do you come out on this? Uh, I'm probably more on Cooper's side. But I understand exactly what Sheldon Keefe is trying to do. This is a huge game for tonight for his organization. If they could win down in Tampa, uh, they go back to Toronto up 3-1. So they're kind of trying to set the stage. They totally get it. Master manipulating the officials really does work. If you, if you can get the officials to buy in, it doesn't always, though, if the officials don't buy in. That being said, um, I'm probably more on the side of Tampa with this one, only because um, it takes two guys to be willing combatants. And as much as Steven Stamkos is intense, Austin Matthews is just as intense. And, Jim, to be totally fair, Austin Matthews and Mitchell Marner, the two, Mitchell Marner, excuse me, the two stars in Toronto, they want to prove to the rest of the hockey world that they're not soft, that they can play in the playoffs, and they can make a difference. So I think that whole incident that happened on Saturday night, that doesn't surprise me because of the intensity of the series and the fact that they've played before in the playoffs, including last year. So, Pierre, to that, really quickly, when you talk about energy and you talk about the postseason, is there a different sort of energy and pressure that comes along with being a Toronto Maple Leaf in the postseason? Or is the postseason the postseason and everybody feels that kind of heat? No, I think in Toronto they feel a little bit more. They view themselves as the center of the hockey universe, number one, as a fan base. Number two, um, those players, while Toronto hasn't won the Stanley Cup since 1967, uh, which is amazing when you think about some of the quality teams they had in the, the 80s and, and the 90s and some of the great players that have gone through Toronto over time. So I think every year that they don't win, it's a huge burden. But, Jim, here's one more stat for you. They haven't won a round in the playoffs since 2004. Incredible. I mean, you think about that. That's almost 20 years. That, that's unbelievable when you think about the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. So I do feel that players in Toronto feel a little bit more of the intensity and the scrutiny from the media and the fans just because they haven't won in so long. Hey, listen, I, th I think that winning the Stanley Cup here is the hardest thing to do in sports, and people always push back when I say that. I know you understand what I'm talking about. But to yep. think that Toronto has not won a cup since 67 is absolutely incredible. One last thought. You've got the Devils. You've got the Rangers. You know, it's always going to be intense when they get together. New York dictates playing the first two games. New Jersey gets a big performance from a rookie goaltender for game three. What about tonight's game four? How do you see that matchup? Because that is critical. If the Rangers produce, uh, produce more than 35 shots in the game and Akira Schmidt can't be as good as he was in game number three, it's going to be a big problem for the Devils. The Devils have to be more responsible defensively they can't leave it all to their young goaltender hey two years ago that kid was playing in sioux city in iowa in the mm. ushl for the sioux city musketeers it's a tremendous story he's a young man from switzerland goes and plays major junior hockey in, in lethbridge uh, alberta isn't good enough to stay there eventually finds his way to the north american hockey league and then to the ushl and last year i watched him play a ton with utica in the american hockey league and he did a great job there 
But this is an outstanding story. The problem is, is that at some point the bright lights have to catch up. And I, like I said, Jim, if the Rangers can get 35 or more shots on goal, I think it would be a real tough game for the Devils to win tonight in Game 4. I think you're right, Pierre. He was amazing in Game 3, but that is an awful lot to ask. Pierre McGuire, former head coach of the Hartford Whalers, NHL executive, has been a broadcaster in many, many places and always a go-to for us come NHL postseason. Pierre, it's great to hear your voice. Great to have you back on. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks so much, Jim. It's awesome visiting with you. Take care, and thanks so much for your support of hockey. So not to get all lost in all the craziness of this, and I don't want to get this far even without talking about the Knicks and Knicks fan, but I've got to get into this. And I'm a little surprised I didn't get into it earlier. But the Knicks are up three games to one on the Cavs after a couple of really dominant performances and, quite frankly, ass kickings at the Garden. And from the looks of things, Nick fan, you are feeling yourself. And I get it. You have not tasted postseason success in a decade. So I get that, too. You're proud as hell. You're hungry as hell. I mean, you're starving. And you have every reason to be, given that it has been a decade since you advanced in the postseason. That hasn't happened since Mello was jacking it up for you in 2013. And before that, you have to go all the way back to 2000. So you've won exactly one playoff series in about 23 years. You haven't won at all in nearly 50. And you have not had a legitimate reason to believe in at least as long. So while Nick Fan was acting like they just did win the entire thing during and after the game, hell, during the National Anthem, I would tell them to act like they've been there before, but the fact is they really haven't. Not in decades. And on top of that, I'm not here to be a cooler or a wet blanket. The association is so much better when the Knicks matter. They just haven't mattered in forever. But they do now. And there's a number of reasons for that. Going back to what Ben Golver said, Jalen Brunson has been a straight-up stud. What an unbelievable decision to bring this guy in. Unbelievable. Josh Hart doing Josh Hart things. And as I talked about with Ben, R.J. Barrett is finally getting things going. Good to see. Julius Randle is struggling. struggling. But if you're up three games to one, and he's struggling, that is a good thing. Not only up three games to one, but again, up three games to one against a team that was favored. A team that many thought would give the Knicks all they could handle and probably find a way to get it done. But that's not what's happening. So the Knicks are up three games to one, and yes, Nick fan is climbing light poles. They're climbing light poles. They're going all Philly fan, and they're not even out of the first round yet. Nick team is balling out, but Nick fan has gone completely next level with it. And yes, acting like this and not finishing and advancing would be one of the worst looks ever. But Nick fan taking to the streets with a quarter of a century of pent up angst and lighting anyone and everybody on fire who they think has done them wrong in the past 25 years, while at the same time hyping the Giants is just awesome. Have you seen any of the video? Have you seen the types of things they're saying and doing out there in the streets? The chants, you know, Nick's in five, Nick's in five, or Patrick Ewing, Patrick Ewing, or my personal favorite, Jared Jeffries, Jared Jeffries. No, no, I take that back. My personal favorite is F. Trey Young. 
F. Trey Young. Like, they're running it all out there. Young's not even playing them right now, and they're F-bombing him. It's both hilarious and it's awesome. Nick Fan spilling out into the streets before the end of the first round, going viral and losing their damn minds. And it is awesome. Go, Spidey! Don't you wish you you came to the That's not after winning at all. That's not even after winning the first round. They're not even out of the first round. And they're bringing that kind of energy. And no way I would ever tell Knicks fan how to live or what to do because I've never lived that life. I've never walked in your shoes. I've never had an owner that embarrassed me in my entire town like this. Wash away my trouble. Wash away my pain. Yeah, that's fine, dude. If you want to have a side hustle and sound like that, that's fine. If your team is competitive, you know, like if Bob Kraft was showing up on stage and murdering songs when they were ripping off Super Bowls, that'd be one thing. But let me just say this. I love that. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Go away. I'll just say this. Whatever you do, do not go all Dylan Brooks and talk all of this legendary noise and then no-show and have it come back and bite you right in the ass and blow up in your face. You think I intended to hit LeBron James in the nuts? Dude, I, I don't know what you intended to do or not. I just know what you said. And it blew up in your face and your team got run right out of the gym and the stage was way too big for them and they looked badly <laughs> shook and rattled, and then you blamed it on us. That's what I do know. We're not talking about you right now, victim. We're talking about the Knicks. Don't let this blow up in your face and bite you in the back the way it did him. So, again, I'm going to be transparent about this. I love what I'm seeing from this team on the floor. I love what I'm seeing from the rabid fans on 7th Avenue. But no, I didn't see this domination coming. I actually did like the Cavs in this series. Did I think the Knicks could win? Yes. Would I have been shocked? No. But I did not expect them to bully the hell out of a nice Cleveland team. Nor did I expect them to completely lock the Cavs up defensively the way they have, holding them to 79. No NBA team had scored under 80 this season until right now. Like, I'm looking around. For Anthony Mason. I'm looking around for Charles Oakley. R.I.P. Anthony. He's not coming through that door. R.I.P. my guy. I loved Anthony Mason. I used to have him on this show. I loved him. Mace was amazing. But, I mean, they're not there. Mace. Oak. And don't get it twisted. Donovan Mitchell, who started the series on a heater, has been nowhere to be found when they need him most. Stars have to play like stars on the biggest stage, and I can't find this guy. And in his defense, again, going back to Ben Golver, you know why I keep going back to Ben? Because Ben covered everything. At least Donovan owned it. He did. He said, I'm the leader. I'm the guy. They're all looking to me, and I'm not getting it done. I played like bleep. That's how you handle that. But just handling it and owning it is not enough. He's got to play better. 
Except right now, it seems like it's too little too late. But again, we are talking about a dude that did drop 71 in a game not that long ago. Like, he's still that guy. Just not right now. Right now, he's killing them, and he knows it. Right now, Brunson is completely outplaying and outclassing Mitchell. And Mitchell knows that too. And if this is the way that Nick Fan rolls <laughs> before officially advancing, I cannot wait to see the heat they bring if they do, when they do. Because if they're climbing light poles with a 3-1 series lead, even Philly Fan may have nothing on these guys. I like this Cavs team, but an NBA playoffs without Knicks fan is not a playoff that I want to be a part of. You don't know, because you didn't get traded to New York. Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, Yo, Knicks are six, you dig me? You hear me? You smell me? I got Knicks fever! I got Knicks fever! Trey Young! Trey Young! I got, I got one question. I got one question. Yo, KD, don't you regret that coming? In the words of LeBron James, Cleveland, this is for you. Cleveland, Cleveland. Finals, we going to the final. We going to the final. One, two, three, four, mix and four. Holy bleep. I am in awe. I am in awe. Bing bong. Bing bong. If you think that I'm not going to play that again before the end of the show, you don't know me or the show. Bing bong. Bing bong. Knicks fan, you are incredible. That was one of the best things ever. Man, I cannot even believe the heat, the fire. They're starving, man. Bing bong. Bing bong. That was some of the best smack ever. Everybody catching strays. Everybody. Fierce. Hi, Jim. I really enjoyed your touching and sensitive story last Friday about spending quality time with rogues. Now give us back our week that was. Ed in SA. Hey, Ed, I'll tell you what. Since I'm constantly giving you things, and so many of you are never giving back anything in return, I'll play that game, Ed. I'll play that game. You just said to me, I really enjoyed your touching and sensitive story last Friday. I sense sarcasm dope. However, I had to make, what he's talking about is this. I had to make a tough call. At the end of the show Friday, I knew that we had the week that was, but there was also an ATP, and the ATP was something along the lines of, hey, Jim, are you and Dodger Jano freaking out that you're going to be empty nesters soon? And I told this story, exactly. I told this story about Logs and I, and if you have, if you have a teenage, a teenager, you know how they can be, right? Not always super approachable. Not always super interested. They like to kind of hole up in their room, close the door, and do what they do in there. And you really don't want to go in there unless you have to. And I went in there, and it was like, I don't know, typical Logs, not that late. 
Typical, but atypical. Typical in that sometimes it's not that late and the lights are out and he's like a zombie on his phone in his bed. Like, you know, if you have a teenage son or daughter, you know this. You know the look. He's like this. He's all prone. He's looking at his phone. And I know I, I startled him. So I walked in there. He's like, yo, Pop, this is different. This is new. Haven't seen this. I'm like, damn straight, Junior. You know who owns this house? Me. Do you know where I can go in this house? Wherever the hell I want. He's like, cool, cool. So I lay down in the bed with him to make it super awkward. Awkward. He kind of, he rolled, Logan rolls with everything. He's a funny kid. So we just start breaking down the game. So I got all into it, and I'm telling this story, and it's kind of different. It's kind of cool. And here's Ed. Hi, Jim. I really enjoyed your touching and sensitive story last Friday about spending quality time with the Rogues. Now give us back our week that was. Ed in SA. I love that that jumped the weekend, dude. What? Is there nobody there to make you a sandwich, Ed? Anyway, my point is, myself and the XR4TI, we give you something of quality every single day. You in return, Ed, give me nothing. So if you're going to demand something that you think is yours, and it's not, I don't know where your entitlement comes from, bro. Or where your ownership of the week that was comes from, bro. But I'll do that for you. I'll give you back, quote, your week that was. But what are you going to give me in return, Ed? Certainly not good content. I'll make you a deal, Eddie. I'll give you your week, your week that was. If you give me this in return, you never email, tweet, or call ever again. Think about that, Eddie. Is that what you want? Because it's not your week that was. It's my damn week that was. So, when you can bring something to it to give me in return, then I will give you what you think is rightfully yours, even though it's not. Think about that, Eddie. It was a good week that was that you didn't get. But they all are. Nah, Ed, you know what you got? That was the Eagle River Woody Pork Chop. You didn't want my story, but you damn well got it, didn't you? Thank you. Would you like another? I had another uh, little incident. Not an incident, but an experience regarding Logs this weekend. Had to show up at an event, and all the dads had to do speeches. Then I did my speech. Let me tell you something. You think Lee Evans was bad. I had a room of Lee Evanses to my speech. Say what you want about me, but generally my energy is good, and I show up, and I rock those things. Imagine a room full of Lee Evanses. And I would say that I'm concerned about them hearing that and taking offense, but believe me, they had no idea what I was talking about in the room, so they really won't make the Lee Evans connection. And by the way, looking around that room, I know none of them are listening to me anyway. As to why my speech fell so flat. Even rogues afterwards, like, yo, Pop, tough room, huh? I'm like, something like that, son. Rogues is great. Uh, Anyway, Ed, that's a long way of saying you don't get your week that was unless you give something to me of equal value. And since you have nothing of equal value, you quitting the program might be the closest thing. Think about that, Eddie, and stop telling me what I have to give you. Good night!